Welcome to Sexology, a podcast that untangles the science of sex and pleasure. And now, with this week's episode, your host, clinical psychologist, Dr. Nazanin Moali. Hello there. You are listening to episode 203 of Sexology Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Nazanin Moali. This is the second episode from our Movember series. As you know that this month, we are dedicating the entire month to increasing awareness around men's sexual wellness. In this particular episode, we're gonna focus on helping you to increase your sexual drive. And also we're gonna talk about some medical interventions that you can seek out as a way to address some of your sexual challenges and erectile dysfunctions because I oftentimes get surprised on how little people know about the options they have. Perhaps they read a couple self-help books and they feel, okay, the books didn't work out and then uh, it means that I'm not going to have a satisfying sex life or I'm defective. And that just breaks my heart because there are tons of psychological interventions, medical interventions that you can take part and to address your challenges. So I truly believe that every single person that want a satisfying sex life, they deserve to have one. Today, we're going to talk about testosterone levels. We're going to talk about contributing factors to low testosterone. And also we're going to talk about how we can increase it. And also we are talking about stress and its impact on our erectile functioning. Our guest is Dr. Johnson. Brandeis. He's a board-certified urologist specializing in men's sexual medicine. Dr. Brandeis has always been on the cutting edge of urology. He has been voted by SF Magazine as a top urologist in the SF area from 2014 to 2020. Dr. Brandeis is the National Director of Clinical Excellence for GainWave and created and runs the SUIT study, the largest study of shock wave therapy for ED ever. Before I dive into our conversation today, I wanted to thank our sponsor, Permescent. Permescent is developed by urologists and recommended by thousands and used by millions. They have delayed the spray, but the product that I specifically wanted to highlight today is their Vita Flux. So it's a supplement you're taking in order to increase your libido and desire. And it's helped women and men. Dr. Brandeis also in, in our interview talk about using of simple similar vitamins that he also has a brand that he he recommends. It's interestingly, I always am very cautious when it comes to recommending supplements. I have also been taking Vitaflux and I've noticed the increase in my desire. Just FYI, whatever I'm recommending to you, I'll make sure I'm taking it myself as well, whether I need it or not, because it will break my heart if I'm recommending a product and that will have have this harsh side effects or will not be effective. So 
these are the products that I personally use and I recommend it. So the website that you can get the product is promescent.com and please reference Sexology 15 in order to get 15% discount. They have a free shipping on products more than $10 and you can return the product if it's not effective within the, I believe, 60 days window. Anyhow, without further ado, here's my conversation with Dr. Johnson Brandeis. Hello and welcome to another episode of Sexology Podcast. I am very excited and honored to have Dr. Johnson Brandeis on our show. Dr. Brandeis, welcome to our show. Oh, thank you. It's so nice to be here. I am very excited about this conversation. I was sharing with you that many of my clients in my practice uh, are men who are struggling with all sorts of sexual functioning challenges. And I'm so glad to have a urologist who specializes in this. So let us start with talking about what are some of the differences between men and women when it comes to sexual drive? Well, men have more testosterone. And testosterone is what gives men libido. So a normal man's testosterone is five, six, seven hundred. And a woman's testosterone. So men and women both have testosterone and estrogen. So men will have a testosterone level anywhere from three to nine hundred, but normal is five, six, seven hundred. And they'll have an estrogen level of around 50 or estradiol level of around 50. And that's important. So it's important to have both testosterone and estrogen. And estrogen especially is important for bone health. So a lot of men will take testosterone and then something like anastrozole to knock out estrogen production because when you're boosting testosterone, you want to limit the amount of estrogen that you make. But that's a problem because if your estrogen is too low, then you lose bone density. And on the flip side, women have more estrogen, so their estrogen levels are 200 or 250, but they do have some testosterone. You know, their levels are maybe 20 or 50 or something like that. And so a lot of women, as they get older and they enter menopause, will replace estrogen and progesterone. But a lot of women also will replace testosterone, not to the same levels that men will, but they'll replace it up to maybe 200, 250. And I see a lot of their husbands because when you give a woman a testosterone level around 200 to 250, they'll end up chasing their husbands around the house. And the husbands come to my office saying, you know, my wife has incredible sex drive now because her gynecologist gave her testosterone. You know, you got to do something to help me. And so then I'll put them on testosterone. And so you know, really the main difference, I mean, there are all sorts of differences between men and women, but uh, one of the main differences is that the, the difference in hormone levels between estrogen and testosterone. And sometimes, you know, like low uh, hormonal, kind of like low testosterone level can make a huge difference in someone's kind of sexual presentation. As a sex therapist and a psychologist, the first thing I do is I refer people out for to a urologist when they come for all sorts of sexual health challenges because I think it's important to address both physiological component of things and also psychological component. Tell us if someone like testosterone is within a healthy range. Is is such a thing as like having more testosterone is a better thing or it's like after a certain level, it doesn't make a difference? No, I mean, the more testosterone, the better. That's why all these professional athletes are trying to boost on testosterone that even if you have normal testosterones of a, a 20 or 25 year old of seven, eight, nine hundred, if you boost the levels up to 2000, which what some of these athletes do, your performance is going to be much better. You're going to be exercising better. You're going to be more aggressive. And so, I mean, you certainly can reach a level where testosterone is dangerous uh, and we don't push anyone to those levels. But especially as men age, you know, men who are in their 60s or 70s and their testosterone's around 300 or 400 
and they go to their doctors and their doctors say, well, your testosterone is normal, right? It's normal for a 70-year-old, but do you really want to feel like a 70-year-old? Do you want to feel like a 30-year-old? And so if you boost those levels up to, say, 400 or 500, they'll feel a little bit better, but it's not really till you get the levels up to eight, 900, even 1,000 that men really, it kind of shocks the system into feeling significantly better. Interesting. Uh, you're right that I, I get that times I refer people out for a kind of medical evaluation and their testosterone is within the lower range of what's normal and they feel like it, they're low in energy, but they, they don't know what to do kind of when, when the sources are physiological. And I'm hearing that you say like, you know, there are interventions and strategies that people can do to increase their testosterone level, obviously want to be mindful of kind of side effects and all of those things that I'm sure you're kind of addressing in your practice, but it seems like there is a direct correlation. I mean, the thing is, when you're 25, your testosterone level is 900. You know, it's not dangerous. You feel great. So if you're 65 years old and you're concerned about having a testosterone level of 900, well, I, you know, look at your 25-year-old son and say, do I want to feel like I'm 65 or do I want to feel like my 25-year-old son? And, you know, it's kind of a no-brainer. And, you know, the, the main downsides of replacing testosterone to that level are if you have aggressive prostate cancer, not regular prostate cancer, but if you have aggressive prostate cancer, you don't want to replace testosterone. If you have a really big prostate and you're having trouble urinating, you may want to hold off on replacing testosterone. And understand that once you go on testosterone long term, it's hard to get off of it because there's a negative feedback loop, meaning your testicles stop making testosterone. And so if you're not just not if you're on it for six months, but if you're on it for five to 10 years, and you stop taking testosterone, your body may stop making it. And so I take a lot of guys who are in their 40s off testosterone, but men in their 60s or 70s or 80s, it's not going to get any better. And so it's really important to go on testosterone replacement. Now, when you do go on testosterone replacement, not a lot of people that are doing this, unfortunately, will put you on something that blocks the conversion of testosterone to estrogen, right? And we're all taught like, Men are from Mars and, and women are from Venus, right? But the difference between the testosterone molecule and the estrogen molecule is one hydrogen atom. So the smallest unit of matter is what separates testosterone and estrogen. So it's easy for your body to flip testosterone into estrogen. And so you need something, either a supplement like DIM or more medical like anastrozole to block the conversion of T to E. Well, let us kind of start with kind of talking about what causes a low level of testosterone in men usually. Well, usually it's just age. You know, there's a very, a very linear decline in testosterone as men age. I mean, let's be honest, we're not supposed to live as long as we live. You know, 500 years ago, men lived till be 40 and then they died. And so we didn't deal with any of the diseases of old age. We didn't just deal with prostate cancer. We didn't deal with low testosterone. On the flip side, you know, women didn't make it to, to menopause. And so and now all of a sudden we're leaving until we're 80 years old. And so we have all these diseases of, uh, that occur because the bodily systems kind of wind down. The other part of it, I, I hear that it's lifestyle. Uh, tell us more about lifestyle, kind of like lifestyle kind of challenges that cause and connect it to the low testosterone in some people. I mean, if you're a caveman and you're constantly fighting saber-toothed tigers and fighting other cavemen, you need testosterone in order to succeed. Whereas if you're uh, an office worker and you work with your laptop in your, in your, in your lap, uh, which produces heat, which is bad for the sperm and testosterone production, um, and you're not 
challenging yourself physically where you need a boost in testosterone and you're overweight, which causes aromatization of testosterone to estrogen, then your levels of testosterone are going to be lower than they should and your levels of estrogen are going to be higher than they should. And so the, the way that we live in society naturally winds down testosterone. Well, also, when I kind of refer people out, they're coming back that the struggle is uh, low testosterone. Then they tell me, like, you know, I just don't want to take testosterone. I'm going to change it with my diet. And we're not saying, like, someone who's in lower range, but at, at times I see someone that's, like, clinically low. Is it possible for us to kind of change and modify our testosterone level only with diets? I would say not just with diet. I mean, you need, I think physical activity is probably the most important thing in combination with diet. So, you know, things where you're, and a lot of my patients say, well, I exercise, I walk. Walking is not exercise. Sweating is exercise. So if you're sweating, you're exercising. If you're not sweating, then you're not really exercising. So if you're the American Heart Association, 150 minutes of moderate to intense exercise where you're sweating, that's exercise. That's heart healthy exercise. That's also, you know, penis healthy exercise. So if you're not sweating 150 minutes a week, you're not exercising. Um, so exercise, eating better. I, I'm not a, an expert in diet, but you know, all the, all the things that, you know, we're not supposed to do, processed food and those kind of things. And staying away from alcohol. Alcohol will cause a reduction of testosterone. And then even I have a supplement called Support. And Support has DHEA. DHEA is a testosterone precursor. So your body uses DHEA to convert it into testosterone. And then DIM. So DIM blocks the conversion of testosterone to estrogen because if you make testosterone, you don't want it to convert then into estrogen. And then it's got ashwagandha and tankat ali, which are all our two herbals that have been scientifically proven to boost testosterone. Great. So also I hear that there are some some kind of like exercises that kind of actually hinders your sexual function. And I was at the sex therapy conference a few years ago, and there was a physician that was talking about biking causing erectile dysfunction or being connected to that. Have you heard about that? Yeah, there's there's a famous paper by a guy named Erwin Goldstein, who's from UC San Diego. And what he found is that he looked at bikers swimmers, crew athletes, runners, and couch potatoes. And what he found is the rate of erectile dysfunction in swimmers, runners, and crew athletes was pretty minimal. And the rate of erectile dysfunction of cyclists was about the same as couch potatoes. That is fascinating. Yeah. And the reason for that is that when you're sitting on a bike seat for an extended period of time, the internal pudendal artery and nerve run laterally alongside the, what's called the corpus spongiosum or the urethra. And so if you're sitting on the bike for a long period of time, I'm not talking about 10 miles, I'm talking about guys that ride 50, 100, 200 miles, you can chronically compress the nerves and the blood vessels and cause a blockage of blood vessel, blood flow going to the penis. And so there are seats. You know, when you're sitting on a bike seat, you should be sitting on your ischial tuberosities, your sit bones. And if you're leaning forward on the beak of the bike seat, you're not doing yourself any favors. And if you get to the point where you actually get numbness of the penis and scrotum, you're really not doing yourself any favors. And so not, if you're training for the Tour de France and, you know, you can get commercial endorsements and all that stuff, by all means, keep going. Although I think it's kind of ironic at the end of the, the stage where the 
the cyclist stands up and there are, you know, two attractive French women next to him because he can't really do anything with them. <laughs> that is funny. <laughs> but, you know, if you're not training for the Tour de France and you actually want to have a, a good love life, then get off the saddle every five or 10 minutes uh, and spin a little bit standing up. And that will reestablish that blood flow and take some pressure off those nerves and arteries or if you're in a spin class, especially, you know, don't sit on the seat and, and hammer away and try to find a seat without a beak. That's really the best thing. Like I am, um, I have a spinner bike and my, my spinner bike has a seat that has no beak. So, and the, the ones that have the cutout in the middle, those are the worst because basically that cutout is for the urethra, but the nerves run on either side of the urethra. So it's, uh, it's like, those guys, they can lie down on a bed of nails. The reason they can lie down on the bed of nails is they're distributing the weight evenly amongst the nails. But if you cut out the middle of the nails and you lied there, believe me, it would hurt because all the weight would be distributed on the on the lateral aspects. And so those cutout seats are the worst. You want something with a minimal beak and you want the beak to kind of drop out so that you're not experiencing any pressure on the internal pudendal artery and nerve. Is that reversible if someone's been a biker for years and now they're struggling? Is that something that like, it's reversible or they need some kind of intervention? To yeah, use? so actually there's something that I do called gains wave, which is shock wave therapy. And that uh, stimulates your body to make new blood vessels by stimulating stem cells, which are cells that can make new cells and also the release of growth factors. And so... I've had a lot of success with cyclists who had erectile dysfunction because they have good cardiovascular systems, but it's just those arteries towards the end of the road that they need to re either rebuild or get collateral circulation for. So shockwave therapy using Gainswave actually has really been very successful for helping those kind of guys. Well, actually, I wanted to say that sounds fascinating. And I saw that like that's one of those things that you've done, uh, kind of like you've done studies on it. So can you tell us more about the process? What does that entail? Yeah, so basically, it's it's a super easy not uncomfortable process. It's a little bit awkward in the beginning, just having a nurse use what looks like an ultrasound probe, sending pulsed acoustic waves into the penis. Um, but my patients get used to it really quickly. And, uh, and then it's kind of a, a kind of a simple no-brainer type procedure. But it takes about 20 minutes. It's once a week for about 6 to 12 weeks, depending on your degree of erectile dysfunction. And it's not uncomfortable. Some of my guys use topical numbing cream. Some of them don't. And usually by about four to five weeks, they'll really start seeing significant improvement in erectile function. And the nice thing about it is if you take Viagra or if you take a nitric oxide booster, that will only last as long as that drug is in your system. Whereas if you rebuild blood vessels by using gains wave or shockwave therapy, you're actually rebuilding those blood vessels, you know, for keeps. And so we have patients that'll come in every six or 12 months for maintenance therapy, but it's not like they have to keep popping pills. They're able to, to achieve erections on their own without medication. And as you know, better than anyone, there's a huge difference between needing to take pills and not needing to take pills in terms of someone's sexual confidence. And confidence really, when you're, when you're nervous, when you're not confident, you send out stress hormones and those same stress hormones work against creating erections. So, you know, we talk about a physiologic component of erectile function, but there's also a very important psychological component, not just the, the psychology of intimacy, 
but also the, the psychology of neuroanatomy or physiology or the production of stress hormones, which work against erectile function. Well, I'm so glad you brought up the stress because one, one of the things that I hear often from our listeners and also from our, my clients is that, you know, I took Viagra, but it didn't work or Cialis, it didn't work. And when we were kind of like talking about it, they're kind of incredibly nervous and anxious and there are tons of cortisol in their blood. And then of right. course, it's not going to work. Right. So, you know, there are a, a number of reasons that Viagra doesn't work, but two pretty simple ones to, to fix are one, the level of nitric oxide in our body declines as we age. And so without sort of giving a biochemistry lecture, nitric oxide is what's called a neurotransmitter. So it's a chemical that our bodies release from nerves that make blood vessels open up. So let me back up. Okay, your body moves blood around from place to place throughout the day. Okay, so you wake up, you go for a workout, your blood's in the muscles. Then you go eat breakfast, your blood goes to the intestines. Then you go to work, your blood goes to the brain. So how does your body move blood around from place to place? It uses what's called nitric oxide. So the nerves release nitric oxide and that opens up blood vessels. But the way it does is that the nitric oxide ends up producing something called CGMP. Okay. And CGMP is what actually creates a cascade of events that opens up blood vessels. But like I said, those blood vessels open, but then they close. So how do you close it? Well, the body has a different enzyme system called PDE, but there's a different PDE in all different parts of your body. So in the brain, it's PDE1. In the eyes, it's PDE6. In the lungs, it's PDE4. In the penis, it's PDE5. So when you read about Viagra, it's a PDE5 inhibitor, which means it selectively shunts blood to the penis. Okay, so but if you're not making CGMP because you don't have enough nitric oxide, then it doesn't matter how much Viagra you take, it's not going to be infect effective. What you have to do is boost the nitric oxide, which boosts CGMP, and then take a PDE5 inhibitor to block the breakdown of CGMP. So one thing you can do if the Viagra is not working for you, is take the nitric oxide booster. So I have a nitric oxide booster called the Firm, which is from Firm Science at affirmscience.com. And what that does is it boosts the amount of nitric oxide. So if you're 50, you have 50% of the nitric oxide production you had when you were younger. So a lot of elite endurance athletes take nitric oxide boosters. A lot of men in their 70s or women in their 70s take it because it improves cognition and it certainly improves erectile function as well. So that's one thing to do. Now, the other thing to do is don't be nervous, right? And so that's, you know, it's easier said than done. But let me just explain why that, that simple statement is important. Okay, say you're a caveman, okay? And uh, there's a disclaimer. This this um, story is a little sexist because cave women are tough too, and cave women can kill saber-toothed tigers. But just hang with me for the the, the uh, for understanding the the difference between sympathetic and parasympathetic. Okay, so you're a caveman and you're in the cave with your cave woman, and there's a saber-toothed tiger pacing outside, right? And they want to eat you, right? Is that a good time to get an erection? No, right? Because the saber-toothed tiger can bite onto the penis. It gives them something to grip on. Okay, so. What you want to do in that situation is put muscles in the, in the, put blood into the muscles, into the eyes, into the brain, into everything that you need to do to protect you and your cave woman. Okay. So three days later, the, the saber tooth tiger is still there and your cave woman's starting to get hungry and grumpy. Okay. Two more days go by and your cave woman is really hungry and she's <laughs> telling you that, you know, you're a, 
a wimpy caveman and her previous cave boyfriend would have gone out there and, and killed the saber-toothed tiger. And so finally you get to the point where you would rather take your chances with an 800-pound saber-toothed tiger than spend another minute in the cave. And so you pick up a spear and you charge out of the cave and you split open the saber-toothed tiger, right? You need a massive surge of adrenaline to do that, right? There's no blood flow going to the penis at all. Okay, but then after you kill the saber-toothed tiger, and your cave woman comes over and gives you a big hug and you're dragging the, cave, the tiger back into the cave and you light the fire and you've got a tiger skin rug now and the <laughs> saber tooth tiger is on the spit and you guys are getting ready to have dinner. You flip from a sympathetic nervous system of adrenaline into a parasympathetic nervous system, okay? And in the parasympathetic nervous system, blood goes away from the muscles and it goes to the intestines so you can eat. It goes to the kidneys so that you can make waste. And then it goes to the penis so that you can reproduce. And so erectile function is a parasympathetic function. So the more that you can relax, the more that you can say, well, you know, check my watch. Uh, the, the Viagra hasn't worked yet. You know, maybe it's not going to work this time. Maybe I'm a failure. Maybe this is just terrible. Maybe I'm a loser. You know, all that negative self-talk builds stress, which builds sympathetic, not parasympathetic hormones, which work against an erection. It's like I tell my kids, if you think you can do it, you're right. If you don't think you can do it, you're right. And so that's what, that's the, those are the two things that really can affect the performance of Viagra that you can do something about is one, boosting nitric oxide and two, try to get into a parasympathetic state. Right, and at times I talk to my clients about breathing, and I'm sure you do as well, and kind of like the importance of down, down affecting and kind of like a kind of a regulating your nervous mm -hmm. system. And that's why sometimes these kind of tantric practices or any kind of a, a sensate focus approaches can be very useful. And you're right that sometimes people are so much, so much in their head that they think about why the medication is not working. I'm going to feel embarrassed. I'm going to failure, be a failure that they just set themselves off. Up, uh, up for not kind of having a good experience. So that, that when it comes to kind of erectile functioning, you shared with us that people can medicate, take medication. Perhaps it seems like supplements also is something that you talked about with your clients and lifestyle changes. What are some of other ways that you recommend people to consider or, or maybe kind of talk to their physician about it when they want to change their erectile functioning? Sure. I mean, there's a whole ladder of things that I talk to patients about. And the most important thing is a healthy cardiovascular system. And so anything that, you know, a lot of people want just, well, just give me a pill to fix the problem. And so it's not, it can be that simple, but it's not really that simple because it's important to eat healthy. It's important to exercise. It's important not to smoke. It's important not to be overweight. It's important not to drink excessively. Uh, marijuana has actually been shown to adversely affect erectile function. And so all of these things, you know, sleep, I mean, all of these things that make you heart healthy and overall healthy will also improve erectile function. But if you're doing all of those things and you still need more help, the first thing the first early warning sign, and I'm actually writing a big article about this now, is loss of nighttime erections. Interesting. Uh -huh. Okay, so nighttime erections are really, really critically important. So have you ever seen that show, Naked and Afraid? No, I haven't. I oh, heard about it's a, it. it's a good show. Okay, so <laughs> they take this uh, attractive man who's a survival expert and an attractive young female who's a survival expert, and they take all their clothes off and they dump them into like the jungle in Belize for a month, uh -huh. right? And 
in all of my years watching this show, I've never once seen the couple have sex. Interesting. Right? They're, they're naked. They're in the jungle. Mm-hmm. They're uh, alone. But for whatever reason, they don't ever have in, engaged in any sort of intimate encounters. And the reason is that is they're afraid, right? So we just established that if you're afraid, you're producing stress hormones, you don't get an erection. Okay, but then if you're not getting an erection, the blood pressure in your penis is 30 millimeters of mercury, right? Our systemic blood pressure is 120 over 80, but you don't get much blood flow to the penis, right? So if you don't get much blood flow to the penis, the oxygen concentration of the blood in the penis is going to be venous blood, right? So it's not going to be very high. And so when you have uh, an organ in the body that's not well perfused for a long period of time, what happens? It gets fibrotic, right? It gets stiff. It doesn't work anymore, okay? But Mother Nature came up with a solution for that, which is called NPT, nocturnal penile tumescence, which basically means when you get into REM sleep at night, you get erections. And so you get 30 to 60 minutes of erections every night. And so then you're perfusing blood with high oxygen content into the penis and you stretch your penis out. And so that helps you keep length and it helps you keep a healthy penis. Okay. But if you're naked and afraid all the time and you're not getting erections, then your penile function is going to decline. And so men in their late 30s or 40s or 50s will begin to lose nighttime erections. Okay. That's the first early warning sign that maybe you should do something about that. Okay. And like I said, the, the first thing to do is lifestyle changes, you know, exercise more, sleep better, eat better. But if you're doing all those things, what I do, because I'm 53, is I take two Affirm tablets. Affirm is citrulline, which is a non-essential amino acid, which turns into arginine in the kidneys, which then donate a nitric oxide. So it picks up an oxygen, pushes off a nitric oxide, which is what we use to open up blood vessels. And so my goal is to wake up with an erection every morning because I know that that's really critically important for my erectile health. So take a nitric oxide booster like a firm. Now, if that's not working, right? So maybe when I get into my 60s, all of a sudden taking a nitric oxide booster is not going to be enough. Then what I would do is take something like Tadalafil. Okay, Tadalafil is generic Cialis and it's got a long half-life. So Viagra has got a half-life of like, you know, it's in your system for about six or eight hours and then it's gone. But Cialis is in your system for 36 hours. So it's something that you can take every day. If you take it before you go to sleep, it peaks for about six or seven hours. That's the pharmacokinetics. And so you're getting good, strong erections every night and that's going to keep your penile health. Now, at the same time, you might want to consider going to get some Gainsway, which is going to help improve the pipes. Because if you think about it, nitric oxide and PDE5 inhibitors like Cialis and Viagra work on the signal, okay? Something like Gainswave works on the pipes and you need both. You need a good signal and then you need the good pipes to pump blood into the penis. Now, my patients who are in their 70s have a different problem, right? There, It's really hard to get nighttime erections when you're in, in your 70s. But in order to get an erection, you want to make sure that your penis is getting good oxygenated blood and you want to make sure that the penis is getting stretched out. And so I have those guys use penis pumps, mm-hmm. right? Vacuum erection device. And before they go to sleep or when they wake up or both, stretch out the penis, right? Because the inner lining of the penis is basically the same stuff that your tendons and ligaments are made. And so if you stop walking, if you stop stretching your hamstrings for five years, how can you expect to walk? You know, if you stop stretching your penis for five years, how can you expect to get an erection? So I see a lot of patients who you know, they get either divorced or they're widowed or something happens. 
and they get uh, you know a new love interest and they, but they haven't been physically intimate for five years or 10 years. And a penis pump is a, a really easy way to get your penis back in shape. I think these options are fantastic. And I tell my clients that at any age, if you want to have satisfying sexual life, then there are options. And I'm glad that you're talking about supplements and pumps and benefits of all sorts of strategies that can people implement to have the uh, kind of like to address some of those challenges that come up with aging. I bet many of our listeners now are curious to know where they can get the product that you're you mentioned, and also if they wanna if they wanna come to your practice, uh, where can they find you? Sure. So uh, the simplest thing is my supplement website is Affirm Science A F F I R M Science dot com, and we have a nitric oxide boosting supplement called Affirm. We have a testosterone boosting supplement called Support S U P P O R T, and that you know testosterone you either replace it or you boost it. So support will boost testosterone levels about 15%. It doesn't, there's no supplement out there that goes any higher than that. If you want to go higher than that, then you really have to replace testosterone. But if you replace testosterone, then your body stops making its own testosterone. And so that's really a, a crossing the Rubicon kind of decision that you have to make, whether you want to commit to staying on testosterone for the rest of your life, or you just want to boost it 15%. And then premature ejaculation is another huge problem that men between the ages of 20 and 50 have. And we have a supplement with uh, an extract of St. John's wort called Prelong that uh, a lot of patients really benefit from. And then I have a prostate supplement called Spunk. Excellent. Excellent. And what about your practice? Where can they My find practice, it? Yeah, sorry. It's, uh, <laughs> it's called Brandeis MD and we're at BrandeisMD.com, B-R-A-N-D-E-I-S-M-D.com. And I'm in San Ramon, California, which is in Northern California. And we have all sorts of really interesting clinical research studies. So I have what's called the Mencella study, which is using high-intensity focused electromagnetic waves to improve the intensity and duration of the male orgasm. So I'm going to be the first to show that there's a technology that actually improves the intensity and duration of male orgasm. I have what's called the P-Long study. And so it's a penile elongation study. So it's fairly simple to improve the girth of the penis. You know, people use hyaluronic acid or other fillers or they use uh, fat grafts or they can, there's even a silicone implant out there to improve the girth of the penis, but no one's actually ever been able to show that they can improve the length of the penis without sacrificing girth. Mm -hmm. And so I have a study called the P-Long study, which uses what's called platelet-rich plasma. So it's a, a preparation that's super high in growth factors that we get from your own blood in combination with traction and suction and the Affirm nitric oxide booster, which improves circulation. And I'm fairly confident that we can grow penises about half an inch to an inch without sacrificing girth. Well, that's because wonderful. No, yeah, is, that some, wants, is it research you're doing currently? Yeah, yeah. I'm, oh. We have five clinical research studies. So like, we got two of those. Then I have the surge study. We're looking at a novel transdermal nitric oxide boosting compound. Uh, and so for especially for men who've undergone prostate cancer surgery or radiation for prostate cancer, which severely affects erectile function, this gets the nitric oxide boosting directly into the penis. And then I'm running what's called the SWEET study, which is the shockwave erectile enhancement trial, which is now the largest study ever done on the use of shockwave therapy for erectile dysfunction. I have 35 offices around North America. 
that all send data for me. So when I was at UCLA, I worked for a guy named Mark Litwin, who is the kind of father of, of clinical research and outcomes research uh, in urology. And so I've done a, a fair amount of, of, of those type of research projects. Well, I'm so excited about all this promising research studies that you're doing, because I feel like pe- at times we hear about people that are not in the field, they're making claims. And I feel this is very yeah. exciting, a urologist doing the studies and addressing some of the challenges that really impact individual sexual esteem. So yeah, I mean, really I'm not, good. I'm not curing cancer. I'm not, <laughs> I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, uh, I'm not saving lives, but you know, we're, we're helping quality of life. And mm-hmm. so that's, uh, that's really critical. Well, I would say that's equally important. Yeah. <laughs> so we're giving like, people something to live for. Right, right. It depends on what kind of a life you want to have. But thank you so much for all of this wonderful information you shared with us. If our listeners did get a chance to write down the information, it will be in the show notes. It was so lovely to meet you and I will, hopefully we'll see you in the future. Yeah, absolutely. I'd be Hi. happy to. Bye. I hope our conversation was useful and gave you good information about what are some of the options that you will have when it comes to addressing low sexual drive. I also wanted to emphasize that our mind and bodies are connected. And if you are experiencing a low sexual desire, it perhaps could be rooted in other challenges that mental health challenges that you might experiencing. Many times when my clients are coming to me for sexual wellness therapy, when we have this conversation, I figure out at times the issue is their untreated depression, anxiety, OCD. So if you're struggling, the first step is to reach out to a professional, whether it's your urologist or your sex therapist to get some answers. As always, I'm very grateful that you're tuning in to our show and I would appreciate it if you give us some good reviews in iTunes or C-Shares or Spotify. We're going to continue our conversation following week. Thanks for listening to Sexology Podcast. For more great content, visit www.com sexologypodcast.com. Please be advised that information presented on this podcast is not a substitute for seeking help from a licensed mental health provider.